Amen. Our first Bible reading is some verses from the closing portion of Judges chapter 8, namely verses 29 to 35. Let us hear the Lord speaking with us. Jerobbaal, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Ophrah of the Abiezrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerobbaal, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now our second Bible reading is the first 14 verses of Matthew chapter 22. Let us hear the Lord speaking to us. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out onto the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man 
who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God yes amen Please be seated. Now we're going to turn together to verses 33 to 35 of Judges chapter 8. Let us ask for the Lord's blessing as we meditate together upon these words. O Lord, who caused the scriptures to be written, who caused the scriptures to be preserved, who enabled the scriptures to be translated into so many languages, including our own, and O Lord, who has promised that you will take your word by your spirit and interpret it to us, Come to us now, Lord, we pray. Enable us to grow in understanding. In understanding, Lord, your will for us. Enable us to see more clearly the path that you would have us tread. And anoint us, Lord, we pray with your spirit that we might lead those godly holy lives that you call us to live and which we cannot live except by the power of your spirit as we're empowered to be faithful and true to your written word for this we ask in Jesus Christ, our Saviour's name. Amen. Now we had cause to say last week that verses 29 to 35 represent the author of the book of Judges summarising and closing the details concerning Gideon and the immediate aftermath after his life here on earth we focused last week at verses 29 to 32 in other words we focused our thoughts upon Gideon and we saw that he made a right choice he was not going to accept the kingship he knew that God had not called him to that and he wasn't going to accept a dynasty continuing down his family line. He made a right choice in that regard. 
but we also notice that he didn't get it right with regard to his private life. He had many wives and also a concubine. He retires from public life and then we're told, as we saw last week in verse 32, that he died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father at Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Now we know from the book, book of Hebrews that Gideon was seen as a man of faith. So he was a man who was trusting in God. Trusting in God's provision for sinners. For acceptance with God. And we're reminded as we look at his life that, yes, even believers can make mistakes. They don't get everything right. That doesn't mean we should be content with making mistakes. Of course we shouldn't. Our responsibility is to listen with care at all times to God's word and to faithfully obey it. And that leads quite naturally then to the theme that we want to explore tonight concerning verses 33 to 35. The focus of attention goes from Gideon, the man, to his compatriots, the people of Israel. And do please note that in verse 33 we have that phrase the people of Israel we're not just talking about his family we're not just talking about the people of Ophrah or the people of Shechem we're talking about the people of Israel as a whole that is what the text is inviting us to consider and what we see here is a very sad and sorry picture Indeed, we see the big mistake that the people of Israel made. And we also see reasons why they made the big mistake that they made. And we can learn from the reasons why they made the mistake they made. And we can learn to guard ourselves with the intention of not making the same mistake or mistakes in our own private spheres. So let us see what happened. We're told that the people of Israel turned again. That's the first thing we want to notice as we consider what the people of Israel did. They turned Again, the word that's used could be translated, they returned. In other words, they, we're being told, went back to their old ways, to their old wrong ways of which they'd been guilty before God had raised up Gideon to be their leader. And therein we notice something important. 
And that is that when a people are not led in a proper way, they can stray and return to the ways that they pursued before they became believers. Leadership has a place. We live in a so-called democratic society. Uh, we live in a society where we're encouraged to take responsibility for ourselves as individuals. Nothing wrong with taking responsibility for ourselves. But one of the dangers of democracy is that people choose to do what's right in their own eyes. And if you get sufficient number of people choosing to do what's right in their own eyes, what do you end up with? You end up with a degree of confusion, if not chaos. And so we see these people return to their own ways, returning to doing what they think is right in their own eyes. Now we can add to what we've said just now by noting the next verb that is used in these verses. So verse 33 goes on to tell us that these people hoard after the Baals. The language used is they played the harlot. They went after, as it were, prostitutes. They prostituted themselves. Now, how did they do that? We're told they went after the Baals. Now, notice that's in the plural. You see, in the world of their day, there were these Baals all over the place, in this community and that community, in this tribal group and that tribal group, in this nation and that nation. And we know some of the names, Moloch and uh, Ashtate and Ashtaroth, etc. There was usually a, a male god of their making uh, and an associated female god, also of uh, their own making. The different groupings, as I've indicated, seem to have their own. So, What's the picture that's put before us? The picture that's being painted is these people are looking around at what the peoples of the world around them are doing. Now we have to live in the world. We're not in the new heavens and the new earth yet. We're still in this fallen world. And around about us we see people in different cultures and different countries, doing things in different ways to ourselves. You obviously have the most clear-cut division and difference between different cultures can be seen in the foods that they eat. And it seems that we're living in a country today that has been so influenced by foreign cuisines that we're losing touch in certain circumstances with good old traditional British food. Uh, bangers and mash uh, and uh, the like, uh, if you see uh, what I'm meaning. But you see, 
We've seen what other people have got. We've seen how that which they grow overseas can either be grown here in greenhouses or in some other uh, way or can be imported. And then there's this change. I'm not saying that is necessarily wrong. I'm just illustrating the point that you and I can observe that people do things differently elsewhere. They have different diets. They have different languages. And they have different gods. And the Israelites, they could look around. They had come from bondage and slavery in Egypt, you recall. They'd come through the years of the wilderness wanderings. They'd come into the land of promise. And they knew that they were being used of God to remove from that area those who were guilty of idolatry, worshipping gods of their own making. And they knew that their responsibility was in that land to love the Lord their God with all their might, with all their mind, with all their strength. Now, here they are looking around. Looking around at the peoples of the surrounding tribal groups. Some groups of people still amongst them who haven't been displaced, moved elsewhere, but some in surrounding nations. And they see what they're doing. And it's as though they've got a choice in front of them. You see, they're looking at the Baals, not at one particular Baal, but at the many gods on offer. And then they choose and make Baal Berith their God. That's what we read at the end of verse 33. What is meant by that title? To whom does it refer? Well, interestingly, you've got two terms here, one of which clearly indicates a foreign deity of mankind's making, but the second word resonating with what they themselves know, namely that God, the God and Father of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, the God, the only God who is, who called Abraham when he was heir of the Chaldees to travel to the land of promise, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they know that this God had made a covenant with them, through Abraham, we read of this in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 17, for example, God had committed himself to be their God and their responsibility was to be his people and his people alone. So we have a concept that they understand, covenant. But we also have this foreign deity of mankind's making. 
And we've got these two terms together. Now, I recognise, and no doubt you do too, that they could well have said, well, we'll call this Baal, this Baal, the one that we are entering into covenant with. And that might be why we have this title. But it also could be an indication that what they were doing was trying to marry together what they had been taught by their forefathers, and in particular Moses, most recently and then Joshua, with the ways of other peoples, the religions of other peoples. Now we call this syncretism, where you try to take different strands of two or more religious or belief systems and marry them together. But God does not want his people to be those who marry together that which is on offer in a fallen world. God wants his people to be totally dedicated to him. I say again, we are, as we're taught in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and of course this is repeated in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 22, for example. We are to be those who love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. That is precisely what these people chose not to do. Gideon, who has guided them, has gone. And now we see them returning to their old ways. We see them looking around at the nations and the groupings of peoples who are not Israelites, observing how they behave from a religious point of view, and then choosing for themselves one of those gods that these other peoples had. That's what these people did. And we need to remind ourselves that we should act at all times with care because we need to remind ourselves that it is possible to think that you are standing but actually then find that you fall. You see, if you're going to stand and remain standing, your feet, as it were, need to be well grounded on a solid foundation. On the rock, not on the sand. On the rock of Jesus Christ. On the rock of the one who has been set forth to be the saviour of sinners. You see, why was it that the men and women of faith of old persevered to the end? Why is it that we have this catalogue in Hebrews 11 of these great men and women of faith who persevered to the end? Their lives were not perfect, but they held on 
to the end. Resting on God. What, 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 what was it that they were doing? What was it that they were concerned by God's grace to be faithful to? Their concern was to rest upon the only one who can save sinners from their sins. They were looking for the coming of the promised one. They may not have had as much detail as we've got. Clearly they didn't. We've got tremendous amount of detail concerning our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. They were looking. They knew that God had promised there would be a Saviour. And they're looking to God for the Saviour. They're depending upon the Saviour that God will provide to save his people from their sins. That's what they persevered in doing. And that is what you and I are to persevere in doing as well. You see, in the last analysis, it, it's not a matter of, oh, well, I've done this, I've done that, and I've done this. I've read my Bible, I've said my prayers, I've gone to church, I've gone to prayer meetings. These things are all important. I'm not doubting that for one moment, because these are means of grace. And if we don't engage in these things and use these things in a right manner, don't be surprised if you fall flat on your face in your so-called Christian life. Yes, we are to do these things, but we don't rely upon these things for our acceptance with God. They're our response to what God has promised in Jesus Christ. And so we're relying upon the promised one, the one who in the fullness of time came, the one who in the fullness of time came and gave his all to save his people from their sins. And we rejoice in that this afternoon, don't we, as we come together around the Lord's table. We're taking bread and wine because they are signs and symbols, tokens and pledges of Jesus' amazing love for us. He gave his all that we who deserve to be separated from God forever might be reconciled to God. He gave his all in his life and in his death to save the likes of you and me from our sins. We're to cling to him. Now these people, tragically, sadly, they return to their old ways. And this is an indication to us that these people are either severely backsliding or if they're not backsliding, they've not been born again yet of God's spirit. And we shouldn't think that regeneration begins with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Regeneration is right there back at the beginning of the Bible. The details may not be as full then, but once Adam and Eve had fallen in the garden, there was a need of a regenerating work of the Spirit of the living God in their hearts if they were to go to heaven and be with the Lord forever. So this is what we see these people did. And we see reasons why they did what they did. And that's what I want to take you to now in verse 34. So take a careful look at this verse and notice how we can detect within it 
uh, certain important elements. And the first point that we want to make as we consider the reasons why they returned to their old ways, the reasons why they looked around at what the world was doing, the reasons why they made a wrong choice, it comes down to the fact that they did not remember. That's what it says in verse 34, isn't it? And the people of Israel did not remember. Well, what did they not remember? First and foremost, they didn't remember the very person of God, the very being of God, his personhood. They did not remember the Lord, their God. You remember I said uh, just a few moments ago that God declared to his people through Moses, look, I'm going to be your God and you are to be my people. God entered into covenant with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And God said, I will be your God. You are to be my people. They forget this God. This God who made this great and precious covenant promise. You see the very title Lord in capital letters tells us it's using that special covenant name for God. Yahweh. Or as they used to transliterate it, Jehovah. Yahweh is probably nearer to how it should be understood. I am who I am. I'm the one who always is. There's never been a time when I have not been. There never will be a time when I am not. I am who I am. And I'm the one who's made heaven and earth, who spoke creation into existence out of nothing. And I am the one who has made mankind. And I am the one who has purpose from eternity that from mankind there will be a people who are my own possession. People whom I love. A people who will taste and know my love day in and day out through their, out their lives here on earth. They forgot this God. Now, my friend, take a careful look at your own life. What place does God have in your life? Let's go back to the great command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, let me ask you, my friend, as you go about some of your activities, do you ask yourself, I mean, I'm, obviously, if you've got responsibilities, you've got to fulfil them, but do you ever sit back and reflect and say, now, as I went about those activities earlier in the day, whether it was a domestic responsibility I had toward my husband, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my nephews, my nieces, my cousins, whether it was a responsibility toward my neighbour, 
whether it's a responsibility to somebody who I rub shoulders with at work or somebody I meet often on the corridor of the dwelling place where I live or whatever. Uh, you, you can, you've got the picture. Do you ever ask yourself, did I, in my interactions with other people today, demonstrate that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength? Or have I just allowed myself to drift on? You see, it's interesting, isn't it? We're not called to measure ourselves by what we know about God. We're called to measure ourselves by how much we love God. Obviously, our love for God will be related to what we know about God. I'm not doubting that for one moment. But in the last analysis, it's not what you claim to know, because it's possible to know things about God and yet not love him. The devil knows all about God. Not saying he has a perfect knowledge of God. He can't have because he's not God. But he knows God. He knows what God is doing. He knows the promises that have been given to you and to me. And he's seeking to thwart and upset. He made a mess of things. Well, he helped to make a mess of things. Adam and Eve were the ones who made a mess of it in the garden. But he was seeking to thwart God in his purposes. You see, he knows about God, but he doesn't love God. He loves himself. And that's what fallen human beings are like in ourselves. We love ourselves, not God. This is being demonstrated here, isn't it, by these Israelite people. Gideon, the leader, who has been used to help to keep them on the straight and narrow for some period of their lives. As soon as he's gone, he's forgotten. And God is forgotten. The God who called Gideon is forgotten. And they go whoring after other gods. You see, it's what you and I remember that matters. We have to ask ourselves, am I being forgetful? You see, it's possible to have what I call a, an elective forgetfulness. What I mean by that is we choose to forget certain things. We forget those bits of the Bible that don't suit us. Those bits of the Bible that we feel uncomfortable with. We choose to push them to the back of our minds. But no, our responsibility is to be open to all scripture. It's to listen to all scripture. It's to grow in understanding all scripture. You see, it's the whole counsel of God that we are called to live by. So we're not here to pick and choose. We're here to love the Lord, even if it means I've got to change my ways. My responsibility out of loving him means I've got to put this behind me and do this from now on. So I'm going to make time to be with the one who loves me with an everlasting love.
because that's what he calls me to do. Yes, I've got my responsibilities here on earth, but my greatest responsibility is to love the Lord my God and to do so with the whole, not part, but the whole of my being. So there's an important question that arises as we consider what it says in verse 34. They forgot the Lord. That's not all that they forgot. Yes, they forgot his being, his person. They forgot what he had done. They forgot that they had been delivered from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Do you see how all-inclusive that language is? They've been delivered from every enemy, from Egypt, from the different Canaanite groupings and the like. They've been delivered. God delivers his people. He sets his people free. He makes his people new. They're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And day by day, our responsibility is to remember the new liberty and freedom that we enjoy if we're united to the Lord Jesus by faith. So my friend, I have to ask you the question, are you thinking about what God has done for you? Are you rejoicing that you're a free person, freed from the shackles of your sins? Freed from the consequence of your sins. In Jesus Christ, we're set free. Oh, yes, we're struggling in this life. We're going to know the fullness of freedom in the new heavens and the new earth. But we've got freedom now. Because we're told that if we go to Christ, we will find forgiveness for our sins. That though our sins be as black as black can be imagined, or as scarlet as scarlet can be imagined, they're cast away, and they're regarded as being as white as snow, as it were. I'm treated as an individual as if I haven't sinned because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I commit many sins. I know I've committed Thousands upon thousands of sins. And I know that the soul that sins deserves to die. But I'm set free from facing that eternal death, that eternal separation from God. How? Through faith in the one who bore the wrath of God in its fullness to set his people free from their sins. That's what we rejoice in whenever we come together around the Lord's table. So they forget God and they forget what God has done for them. And, and therein lies the reason why so many people make a mess of the Christian life. They forget God and they forget what God has done for them. They don't make it their priority to discover more and more about what God has done for them. 
they don't make it their priority to remember the word of God, the promises of God. They don't make it their priority to keep the Lord Jesus right at the centre of their lives. This is why people make a mess of living as professing Christians. And this is why these people long ago made a mess of their life. But we haven't finished, have we? You see, you and I know that when the Saviour was asked by a lawyer, the Pharisees had seen how Jesus was answering the Sadducees and the like. And uh, there's this somewhat um, self-important, self-righteous uh, Pharisee, it seems, who comes and says, no, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus tells him, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Interesting. What's the second? Is that what that lawyer said to himself at that point? There's a second? I asked about the most important. And Jesus is telling me, this is the first. Well, what's the second? He said, there's a second. What is it? And a second is like it, namely this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What do we read in verse 35? And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. You see, God uses means. God used Gideon. Gideon was used for the good of Israel. And the people were to be grateful for what God had done in making Gideon the leader that he made him. And in giving under Gideon's leadership the victories that they enjoyed over the Midianites. And they don't show love for Gideon's family. That's what we're told here. They were failing to keep the second commandment that our Saviour gave in that summary to the lawyer. You see, if you truly love God, you will love your neighbour. That is clearly taught to us in the Ten Commandments, isn't it? We've rehearsed the Ten Commandments already this afternoon. Well, the first four are focusing on our relationship with God. But the other six focus on our duty in this world to our neighbours before God. God is looking at us. Are we those who are loving our neighbours? How are we treating them? Are we taking that which is theirs? Are we committing adultery? Are we stealing? Are we coveting? Are we honouring our parents? Are we respecting leaders in the church, in the world, as well as in the home? These people failed to love. They fail to love God 
and they fail to love, in this instance, the family of Gideon. So we know why they made a mess of their lives, why they returned to their old ways, why they prostituted themselves with other gods, why they made a choice of Baal Ba'ith as their God. They forgot God. They forgot the deliverance that God had given them. And they didn't care. In this case, for the family of Gideon. They didn't care for those associated with the church of God. So we find ourselves asking, as we've been endeavouring to ask as we've progressed in our survey of these verses, we find ourselves asking, how much do we love God? And how much do we love his people? And how much do we love others? Those are three very important, very simple questions that we do well to ask ourselves often. Now, my friend, don't come out with a glib answer. Don't just say, oh, well, yes, of course I love God. Oh, yes, of course uh, I love members of the church. And yes, I love people in the world. Ask, are you demonstrating the love that God would have you to demonstrate to himself, to his people in the church, and to the peoples of the world? And how are you going to know whether you're doing that? Well, you need to know the scriptures. Because you need to know the standard that God has set before us. We need to measure ourselves against his word. That's why we sometimes call the Bible the canon. Have you ever wondered what that word meant? I can remember as a child thinking, I don't quite understand why they call the Bible the canon. Uh, I suppose it could be seen as something that's quite explosive. Ah, but of course, that's spelt with a double N in the middle. That type of cannon. That's the sort of thing that soldiers use. But this cannon's spelt with a single N. Then I thought to myself, well, we've got that title given to certain clergy. I don't know why on earth people have made a cannon of this or a cannon of that. Uh, it doesn't make much sense to me. This is how I thought as a child. Little did I realise that the word canon, when we refer it to scripture, is taken straight from the Greek. And it means rule. The rule of faith. Yes, we go by the canon of scripture. We know that this is the very word that God calls his people to live by. And this is the word that God calls his people to make known to others around about them. Because God wants all of us to hear his word and to love his word and to live by his word. We're not to be forgetful of him or forgetful of his deliverance, forgetful of his promises, forgetful of his will for us. That's why they made a mess of their lives all those years ago. And as you look through history, you'll see that similar type of behaviour lies behind 
people making a mess of their lives in the church of Jesus Christ. My friend, make sure you don't make the same mistake. Make sure that you keep in the forefront of your mind, I must always remember what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. And my responsibility in gratitude to him is to love him and to be the loving person he calls me to be. Only he can make us such. We pray that he will. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, how it grieves us to note afresh this departure, this apostasy, this failure to walk with you, the living God, this failure to love you. O oh Lord our God, may we not make the same mistake in our lives, we beseech of you. May we walk with you faithfully and obediently in the land of the living and look forward, O oh Lord, with eager anticipation to being with you forevermore in glory. For we plead and pray in the name of Jesus our Saviour. Amen.